If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You want to know what the best email marketing service is for your small business? Well, I've got the team for you. EmailToolTester.com is the place to find reviews and tutorials of newsletter services like ActiveCampaign, MailChimp, GetResponse, and many more. Download their free comparison spreadsheet that will help you find the best email marketing service among many providers. Just Google Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. Again, just Google it. Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Clay Hausman, CMO of Octana. Octana uses data-driven suggestions and insights to empower life science sales and marketing teams to provide beneficial information to the physicians that they serve. Clay and I met at a recent summit, and he described and taught a session on how he uses screenplay writing concepts and methods to do better brand storytelling and better brand strategy development, bridging really that gap between strategy and execution. Well, Clay, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So I want to get started by you telling us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in your current role as CMO of Octana. 
so I'll try to give you the, as short a version as possible. So I started uh, my career on the agency side, in particular in PR and brand and digital. Uh, and then after about a dozen years, went in-house to lead marketing at a company called Plantronics that makes headsets. And um, while I was there, ended up being inspired to do a foray into screenwriting. And I took some time off to pursue screenwriting. And when I came back out of that, um, I ended up starting uh, some consulting work using the toolkit of the screenwriter to help companies uh, build a more effective and resonant brand story and brand strategy. And one of my first clients uh, a couple of years ago was a company called Octana that I helped with their brand strategy. And over time, I've gotten closer to the company. And last year, uh, I joined the company as chief marketing officer. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about why you toyed or went off the path towards screenwriting. You know, why that switch? <laughs> Well, I, I've always kind of had a bit of a, a creative or um, a writing bug that I've wanted to pursue. So earlier I had tried to write a novel. Um, what I wrote only kind of had in common with the novel that it was about a novel length, but the quality of it left a lot to be desired. So, But in that process, I, I had different readers of it um, say, you know, there's a part of your writing style that seems to do quite well in character development and dialogue. It was all the expository in between of a of a regular book that I didn't feel as natural with. And so I had a couple people encourage me to try screenwriting at some point in time. Um, and so I had been at Plantronics five years and just wanted a little creative outlet. So I started studying it and started writing a script. And I, while I was at Plantronics doing sort of the early morning before the kids were up routine, and I sent it into the Nickel Fellowship which is the screenwriting contest that the Academy of Arts and Sciences, who puts on the Oscars, the one that they run every year. And they only award five fellows, but I got, I got my rejection letter. But at the bottom of the rejection letter was this very powerful one sentence that said, P.S., your script placed in the top 10%. And I thought, okay, well, they get 7,000 scripts a year. If I came in somewhere between 350th and 700th, uh, doing it on the side, you know, maybe I, maybe I'll give this a try and pursue it uh, as a full-time endeavor. And so that's what I did. I spent a little about a year and a half doing that and writing scripts and meeting with a lot of different people. What surprised you about screenplay writing? Well, the biggest thing I think is that there, the word writing is in the name of the profession. And so, and you just naturally think, oh, those are writers who do it. And they are, but more than any other form of writing, it's really more of an architectural blueprinting process. There are a lot of different rules of screenwriting, a lot of different boundaries that you have to stay within or expectations that studio readers especially, who you're going to have to appeal to, studio executives, before you ever get your piece made into something for the public. There's so many different things that you have to adhere to um, that it has art and science to it. And there are elements of both of it. So that was probably the most surprising to me as I got into it. So I know you've adapted a lot of these principles to marketing and brand. Did you go in with that idea or did you discover that along the way? I discovered that in the process. So I, I didn't have any, I wasn't doing it a little bit as a, as a marketing profession related. Actually, it was just a complete switch from my career path. And I, that's what I enjoyed about it is that it was something completely different. Um, and so I, you know, I went into it with the intent of I'm going to turn myself into a screenwriter, knowing how tiny that target was at that point in my career, not having gone to film school and just having a passion for it and kind of being self-taught, reading a bunch of different 
sources on it. Um, but that's what I wanted to try. And so I, I went for it. And as I got to the tail end of it, of my own little self-funded fellowship, I realized that um, I would need to go back to my marketing world. And But in that process, as I was getting near the end, I was realizing how I could combine the two, how I could kind of take what I was so passionate about and what I learned in the screenwriting process and apply it back into marketing, almost using myself as a, a prospective customer and looking at the ways that I either used to do brand strategy on the agency side or the way I ran it internally, um, that it, this, this process just seemed so much better because it was succinct, uh, structured, and it was done in a language that people are already very familiar with because it's the way that we communicate rather than trying to do um, sort of the marketing, marketing language style, so to speak. So can you t give us a little um, teaser into the approach? How, you know, what are the major elements or, or how, how does someone take, you know, screenplay writing and adapt it to um, understanding brand strategy or brand storytelling? So I, it's the way that I've looked at it the most is that if you think about this notion of brand story has kind of a, it has a definition with it that people who are in the strategy world tend to think of story and storytelling as purely execution related. And so I've found, um, well, my, my belief was coming out of the screenwriting work and then I've only had it reinforced the more that I've worked, I worked with companies and then at my current company that the further upstream into corporate and brand strategy, you push this notion of story and what is our, what is our story with our key customer, whatever audience you're trying to appeal to and how would we structure that story, um, the more effective that strategy is going to be because you're putting it into a construct that people can understand and relate to. And that's where most strategy processes break down is that in the rollout from the think tank that created it to the tens, hundreds, thousands of employees that are responsible for embracing it and carrying it out in their own way, they lose it at multiple points along that chain. But if that notion of, well, we're going to design this in a story construct the way a screenwriter would, because it is very analogous. The screenwriter is the furthest person upstream, and they have to think about what is the core essence of the story that I'm going to create that is going to move an audience so much that they're going to tell their friends about it so more people go to see this. That's the same thing that we're trying to accomplish with brand strategy. What's the core essence of this company? And how am I going to develop a relationship with my audience in such a way that they become an advocate for my brand and loyal? So, so that's the way that that's the starting point, essentially. And so, you know, we met at a conference where you were describing this approach, um, and I was taken aback by just how succinct it was. Um, meaning, you know, you could boil down the essence of a brand, say Beats, I think was the teaching example that you gave, into one page. Yeah, I've I've kind of rebelled against the 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 endless PowerPoint deck or the the mountainous PowerPoint deck. Um, in an extreme way uh, with a single page brand story structure. And so that's what we walked through or I walked through at that event. Um, and that is the starting spot. So let's see if we can get it all the way down to a single page. There will always be pieces that we build onto the components on that page that go into greater detail for the audiences who need it. 
Um, but for the core, if we let's get it onto a single page and let's speak to how do we motivate employees? Is there a story and an element? The term you know from you know what we talked about there is there an inciting incident that uh, set the company off on its current path? What was that moment? Hopefully spurred by a customer-related experience um, that set the company on the path they're on right now to solve a problem or to improve life in some way. What is the strategic context uh, so everyone has clear about what the company's really trying to accomplish. What is the genre for film? So what is the context that we can give the audience in terms of what type of company we are? And then what are the characteristics that really make us unique, truly uh, and uniquely ours to own and defend? Um, and so if you boil that, that can all fit on one page. And then if you need to explain in more detail, all right, tell me about the characteristics. So for Beats, for example, if they change the audio signature to emphasize bass, well, we need to go into a little bit more detail for the departments that are going to support that characteristic so they know how to do their part. Right. And I, I think we had a lot of discussion in the room about genre and potentially how at initially that sounds limiting. But can you describe the notion of genre and how it applies in this context? Yeah. So that, that was probably the biggest learning for me in the whole process, that everyone I talked to, either somebody on the studio side or a prospective agent or anybody in the industry, when you tell them you're working on a script, they automatically want to know what kind of film is it. And you have to be ready to put it into the appropriate genre, or if you're doing a mix of genres, um, you know, have that clearly established. And so I got that question so many times in the screenwriting process as a way for the whoever I was speaking to to automatically put some context around whatever I was about to tell them. So they would say, oh, you're writing an action film film, we don't do action films, or we only do romantic comedy. So they're, they're trying to see if it fits their particular taste and interest. And it's a very natural and intuitive way to do it. And it's been around in story structure and storytelling for centuries. And so I thought, well, that's in my world, which is technology marketing. That's so bizarre. Why do we not do that? It's all meant to give the audience greater context and to help them self-select as to say, this brand is for me or this brand is not for me. And it's okay for some brands not to be for certain people. Um, so, so that was the most eye-opening um, part of the process. And I started to tinker with, all right, well, are there genres in uh, the business world that would be helpful to companies? Not from, not from a marketing communication standpoint in terms of personality traits. That's not what we mean. Um, you know, are you, are you honest? Are you straightforward? Are you technical? It's not that style for like an editorial style guide. It's more about in technology, for example, two genres. One could be that you are a highly technical, smart, uh, technically proficient company, but you keep that all in the background and you emphasize simplicity so that the user never feels that technical brilliance. That's a, that's a, that's a genre that Amazon and Google and a lot of very large companies are in because obviously they sell to mass markets, but very hard to accomplish because it goes against the DNA of a technology company, which by nature is filled with very technical people. There is a second genre that's almost the inverse of that, which is you take your technology and your expertise and you put it front and center like Adobe. Um, like Adobe used to do more than they are today, but they used to be very much just purely for the creative professional. My wife, for example, is a designer. She uses all their products. I am not a designer, so I don't use really any of their products. They're very basic versions of them, and that's okay. They've been very successful identifying a market and establishing their genre and becoming known for it. So genre, to me, I think has the most potential for companies to figure out how a genre pertains to their brand strategy and who they are in their brand story, and then staying within that across 
across not just marketing, but all facets of the company. Well, Clay, maybe it would help to outline, I know it would help for the listeners to outline the four key elements of this story structure. Sure. So there, there are a number of different tools in the toolkit, so to speak, for the screenwriter. Um, and many of them, most of them, are extremely helpful in how you want to structure and design a story that has the appropriate arcs and elements to it. Um, four of them seem particularly well-suited to the business world and to, to brands for companies. And so the four that I've used for this single-page story structure, the first is called the inciting incident. And the inciting incident is a term in the screenwriting world that basically means the moment that happens in the first usually five to ten minutes of a film that disrupts the status quo and sends the story off on its course because every film you see starts with an introduction to a world that the screenwriter and then director created. Uh, you get to know where you are. Am I in 18th century England? Am I in outer space? Who are the characters? And then once you have some basis, then something needs to happen to give you a trajectory for that story for the next hour and a half to two hours. And so I thought, well, this is what companies need to create motivation and a connection for their employee base, which we know, especially for the younger workers, becoming more and more important in developing loyalty to their employer. What is that moment? What what spurred you on the path that you're currently on right now? Um, in the startup world, it's often the founder's story. So why did somebody decide to start a company and invest so much of their life in solving a particular problem? But established companies can have these too because they're on a strategic path. And so there typically should have been some moment, hopefully that was customer related, involved the customer experience that made you go, Oh, we have to change the path we're on and we need to do this instead. And I'm going to use this in town hall meetings and interviews and in recruiting and many environments to create a bond with my employees first and foremost about what we're trying to accomplish. The second element is a term called the controlling idea, which comes out of a book by Robert McKee called Story, which I would recommend to anybody who has an interest in this topic. Um, and that is really it really means what it, what is your film about at its core not what it is what is its plot but thematically what does it stand for what are you trying to communicate what message um, in the form in the script that you're writing and I have found it helpful to replace the mission statement because in my experience the mission statement has become uh, a very challenging tool to work with because it either suffers from many different authors internally who want to contribute to it or it suffers from a commercial slant in what do we want to accomplish? Well, we want to become the largest company in this category, et cetera, et cetera. Where a controlling idea is about, tell me how your customer's life changes for the better from before they have your brand to after they have it. So it looks at everything through the customer's lens. Um, it's very succinct, and it's about the value that you're going to provide, not what you aim to accomplish as a as a company in the future. The third element is genre, which is pretty self-explanatory for its role in film, but how we look at it in the business world. How do we give audience members, whoever we're speaking to, a sense of context about the type of company that we are, the type of brand they, that we are, so they know, for example, in the tech world, if, um, if we are a community-based company. So my wife is an interior designer, and she uses a website called House, H-O-U-Z-Z, and it's a community for the uh, home remodeling, home furnishing, interior design, building community, where they are entirely based, their product is their community. If their community started to weaken, they wouldn't have any 
product to bring to market. So everything about their brand is the strength of that community. A lot of social media companies are in that genre as well. But it's something that you can, you can rally around and you can be very consistent in how you make investments as a company, how you design strategy. I'm sure House would look at it and say, well, everything we do has to be about creating this vital living ecosystem between homeowners, designers, builders, contractors, and everything is in pursuit of making that as mutually beneficial for everyone as possible. Um, and lastly, there is the notion of characteristics. Much like characters in a film, which are the, those are the elements, the individuals that we relate to so much and we end up Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Telling stories about after we saw a film, it's often based on characters that were created who are very unique uh, in their own uh, their own way. And so an example that I use often is in the film Die Hard, which happens to be one of my favorite films. And one of the things that makes it so unique is in their protagonist. So at the time, Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger and these hugely muscle-bound, almost comic book heroes, but in real life, were the, were the lead actors in these types of films. And Die Hard is all about an everyday every man, New York City cop who's screwing up his marriage and trying to make it right. And it became very relatable to the audience. And I do not think that film would have succeeded the way it did if that lead character, that protagonist, was a Sylvester Stallone type because we just wouldn't have been able to personally relate to to him and what he was going through. So identifying those things that you have as a company as unique elements of your strategy, and they have to be really defensible and truthful, because as soon as you roll it out to your employee base, they're going to tell you right away whether they're defensible and truthful or not. Um, so being highly critical about, do we really do this well? And is this something that is valued by our audience? And if so, then these become sort of the pillars of your unique characteristics as a brand. And it helps you make decisions on resource allocation and strategic investments and partnerships, all sorts of things, once you know where your truly unique strengths lie and how you need to support them. And then the other thing that I wanted you to kind of comment on, to be honest, was around characteristics. And so I've picked a genre that I'm operating in. It might be technical excellence or, or self-expression or something like that. How do I boil down the characteristics? Because I think it, in our innate organizational DNA, we want to put everything that we think is important out for, you know, in front. We either do that or we pick um, characteristics that we think the market will value and 
you know, irregardless of whether we have the skills to deliver upon it. So it, it becomes, um, it lacks truth when you go to roll it out to the company because people are looking for ways that you live and breathe and walk that characteristic. And if you don't have those, your own employees are the, the first critical focus group to say yay or nay to that. So um, the characteristics, I think, are very much about being truthful to yourself as a company and what you excel at or what you can excel at because some of them can be forward-looking. You may say, we're not great at this now, but we're going to become great at this. And so therefore, it's going to be a characteristic of us as a brand. We're going to invest in it across these departments this many years. Um, so it's, just, it's, a, it's about truth and self-evaluation of those characteristics. So I'll give you an example for, um, for Octana. You know, we are in the pharma CRM space. We have made um, an, an, an engine that basically takes all the mountains of data that a pharma company will have invested in, and it does the synthesis work to produce for especially non-technical personnel, sales and marketing, sales reps in particular, it'll produce just the information out of all that data that they need to have a more effective meeting with the doctor they're going in to see. Um, and so that's what we do. One of our characteristics is that we are going to be the most human-centric AI company in this space. Human, cent human centricity is a big, very important part. And so you could say, well, that that could f become cliche pretty quickly um, unless you unless you really invest in it. And so we have, you know, for example, we learned early on that if you fall in love with the algorithms and the math, you're going to produce something that feels like it was produced by a machine. But if you involve sales reps early on in your strategy and configuration process, if you do ride-alongs with reps, if you bring them in for interviews, if you use them as a sort of a co-architect in the design of what you're doing, then when they get the output three or four months later, it feels right to them. They start to trust it because you've respected their role in the process. And so that's something that is counter to a lot of companies in this category that are very much enamored with the artificial intelligence. And so that's one example that we said, well, if we're really going to be about human-centric in our approach to this, how do we how do we do that? How do we live it? How does it become real to customers? And so we we've invested in that in a number of different ways. That if we didn't have that as a characteristic, we wouldn't have. So stepping back, um, you know, I want to know what moment in your life you know defined who you are today. Kind of a deep question, I realize, but but um, I always like to know, and I like I think the listeners like to know a little bit more about the person that we're you know having the conversation with today. Wow, that's a it's a shift. <laughs> I'll try. Um, the danger. Well, so I'll just tell you mine. And unfortunately, you can. It may take us in a in a dark direction. But the one of the I don't know, the motivating moments of my life. Um, I was involved in a car accident when I was in when I was nineteen with my father. Um, I was. We were driving back from Ohio. I had gone to visit my girlfriend, now wife. He had gone to visit his mother, and we were driving back across Pennsylvania. I lived in New Jersey at the time, and um, I. It was right about dusk, and my head started bobbing because I was tired, and you get kind of that sleepy state when it's right before sunset. And I, my head bobbed right at the wrong time, and we the road the highway bent to the right and we went straight and we just missed the guardrail and came, went straight down into this sort of ravine um, and I came to flying through the woods and we hit a car, totaled the car, um, neither of us wearing seatbelts and uh, came out of it alive which there's really wow. no scientific, if you looked at all the, the speed of the car and the angle and the lack of seatbelts and everything else that should have been the day that I um, left 
the earth, and I didn't. And so um, there are times when something like that happens in your life. You wish that you had committed more of your life to something extremely noble because you feel like you're stealing time every day that you're here. And it's hard just with the pace of life to to do that sometimes, but one thing that has always made me very appreciative of everything that I have and appreciative of many small moments and also wanting to do something in whatever small way I can to try to do something impactful, not just for myself or my family, but in this case, what really inspired me to try to do this screenwriting applied to marketing is that I really do believe it can be beneficial to everyone in this field. And, um, and I, and I hope to just spread the message as much as I possibly can, spread these tools as much as possible, because I think we're due for a refresh of this whole way of thinking. And if that's something I can contribute to, um, then at least that's something that, that I feel good about. No, I, th- I think, I think, you know, one, that story is phenomenal and you, you definitely cheated death. That is for sure. And I can see, you know, the, the urgency, the, the stop wasting time component of that manifesting itself in this, in this approach to storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, a, there's a direct line there. Well, that's part of it for sure. I, this, you know, this notion of getting to the point quickly and powerfully and be truthful about what you really do well, all of these things, I, I think we're probably influenced by that. And, um, you know, the one other thing it shaped is it gave me a real appreciation for truck drivers. So the next time you or anybody's listening to this is on the road and frustrated behind some big rig, um, I climbed out of that ravine, uh, my father was still in the car. He had a couple broken bones. And so I climbed out of there to get us help. And I did, I'm sure I know I didn't look great because I had a lot of blood on me. And so I was standing on the shoulder. Cars are flying by. Nobody's stopping. I stood in the left lane. Cars changed lanes to avoid me. But a truck stopped, came screeching to a halt and on the right side and crossed. The guy ran across the, the highway and came back and helped me out. And, um, you know, they are very much sort of... There's a brotherhood out on the road, and and I I was very appreciative, obviously, of that. Um, So for another odd twist to it, it kind of changed my perspective of what we typically look at as these big behemoths in the way of us getting from point A to point B. Um, I had a much different experience at the time. That's great. That's great. So that's a phenomenal experience. You know, what makes you get up every day to do what you do, right? Uh... You know, I, I believe in what I'm doing. I believe that, personally, I believe in what these tools and this approach can do to make um, the marketing experience, the marketing profession, better and more genuine for everybody involved, the people who are receiving it, especially because we are inundated with so many different marketing messages. And a lot of this storytelling and content marketing revolution is a bit of a wolf in sheep's clothing that these pieces of content are really sales pitches masked in a a very transparent story. Uh, You realize, you know what, I'm really just being sold to as aggressively as I did in the commercial, but now it's being shaped in a blog post or in a video piece or something. Um, it hasn't really changed the behavior a whole lot. And what I'm trying to do is re-engineer the, the behavior at the outset, which is think about an interesting story based on what your company excels at that would have value to an audience. And if you do that well, you're going to build a connection with that audience who will come back and, and find you. So think about, instead of creating the infomercial, create the documentary film about something really interesting and then when I finish watching the documentary film and it says underwritten by a certain brand I'm going to feel better about that brand because you taught me something I learned something you thought about what might appeal to me 
Um, I don't watch infomercials for a reason. And so there, we need to get past that approach to content marketing and build all new muscles for how we do story development. I think the move towards bringing journalists into the field is uh, a positive one, of course, but it's also one that's been around for a long time, and I'd like to see something more disruptive. And so the way I look at it is if you bring the screenwriter's approach or even the documentary filmmaker's approach, they have a need to find truth and understand the business element, but they also really just know how to shape a narrative and a story um, in a way that's aimed purely at resonating with an audience. And then later on, you can get to the selling part, because obviously that's a component of any business's marketing strategy. But you really just have to let go of it and, and have faith that if you build the compelling story, the sale is going to come later on, it will. So we've got two more questions for you. One is, um, and we'll start there, which is just if there's brands or companies, even causes, and maybe I should ask movies, that you think other people should be taking notice of. Boy, this is a tough one. So I used to, I felt like I had a pretty good pulse on this when I worked with a lot of different companies. But, you know, once you go into a full-time role, um, I can tell you a lot about pharma companies and how they do it. I can tell you a lot about the <laughs> artificial intelligence space. Um, you know, I, I use Beats in the example, um, mm -hmm. the one that I presented at the meeting that you were at, um, for a reason, because I do think they did a fantastic disruptive job to a category that um, needed it. So I'll use them maybe more as a model of, of how you identify your strengths in a way that I think was obviously still very lucrative in its success. Um, so they had identified a market that was in need of a new way of thinking. You know, Sony and Bose had these high-end headphones that were aimed purely at the business traveler and then were sort of designed with that in mind. But they had this opportunity and this thought in mind to kind of look at it as if they were creating the equivalent of Air Jordans, but do it for headphones and make them items of such desire that they could price them differently than the category would think. Um, and they would put design and sound quality and a celebrity cachet to it through their founder, Dr. Dre. Um, and then what they created in terms of content and brand that came from there was very truthful. So I did not work with the company, but it was very easy for me to fit them into this story structure because everything they did was very consistent to what their characteristics were. For example, they invested in design the way nobody had. And so you can see that when you go to their website and in their packaging and in their product design and what they spent on things um, that we at Plantronics never would have spent at the time because that was a strategic asset that they wanted to be able to make a characteristic of their brand. They changed their sound signature to emphasize bass which is something audio companies is usually high on the no-no list. You're trying to create an accurate sound signature. And they said, no, we're going to emphasize bass because it's truthful to Dr. Dre's style of music and because we know that studies say the average person equates more bass with better sound. And so they did all the way through the acoustic engineering department and all the way, every, everybody involved with their sound understood that and they brought that product to market. And they are hated in the audio community. They are hated by audiophiles, <laughs> but they don't, they don't care. Um, for good reason. So, so I think they're, they're an example of a company that very clearly defined a strategy that would lend itself to story elements, and then they were consistent in how they carried that out. Love that. So last question, you might have to get your crystal ball out, is you know, what, do you, what do you foresee for the future of marketing? 
Uh, I foresee that the marketers are going to be forced into this new approach because of the voice of the customer and how easy and how readily accessible means are for a dissatisfied or misled customer or group of customers um, can be to getting their message out. I mean, we've seen this through very viral things like the man dragged off the United flight and I guess there was a woman who got hit in the head with her stroller on an American flight. Like It's just, it's such a human nature to record moments as they happen. And you'll never be able to control that as a marketing department with companies that have as many flights or reach. You, you hope through training processes, that sort of thing never happens. But there will be crises like that. But, but what's going to be important is to realize that the consumer or the customer really wants a relationship with the brand rather than a transaction with a brand. And the way that you build a relationship is through these story methods rather than a sell sheet and how to sell a product at that moment. And if you want that long-term relationship, then the way the channels have evolved, it's going to be about giving them something that's beneficial and impactful to their business um, through content, through thought leadership, through um, entertainment value, you, whatever it may be, and then um, allowing space for the relationship to build and have trust that that's going to manifest itself in the business results that we all need because we work for corporations. So, but understanding that that you got to take your foot off the gas pedal on the sell, sell, hit the near-term target, and understand that if you want truly effective long-term relationships, then you have to approach that relationship building process in a different way than you ever used to. Well, it was a great session at the summit. I'm really excited that you came on the show, and thank you very much. Absolutely. I was glad to talk, so thanks very much for having me. Marketing Today is brought to you by Atomic. Atomic focuses on unleashing the growth potential for clients we serve. Atomic is a strategic consultancy specializing in business, marketing, brand, and innovation. Our singular goal is to help you accelerate your efforts with the right mix of expertise, analysis, and creativity. Check us out at atomic.com. A-T-O-M-C-K dot com. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with project management by Sarah Williams, audio production by Aaron Campbell, writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. We love to hear from listeners at info at atomic, A-T-O-M-C-K dot com. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now.